0: discussion of the X-Men and the Fantastic Four. It seems very strange to me that there is no consistency across the narrative. Sometimes it's about Doom, sometimes it's about Rachel Summers and her child lover, sometimes it's about absolutely nothing at all. And this episode has two out of 3 of them in its main issue. That of course makes this we are Krakoa. I'm Nico.
1: I'm Dylan. I'm
0: Kyle. I'm Regina. And I'm Jonah, and we hope you survive this
2: experience, unlike that Doombot that wasn't actually a Doombot and was actually a lot very inservant of
0: Doom. I stand Doombots harder than I stand Doom. I... Just straight I, up. I don't understand them. <laughs> they're a- Doombots are adorable. They're like, I am Doom. Oh, actually, I'm a Doombot. I'm going to explode. <laughs> and so, like, they're really a- quite adorable and quite playful, and I like them very much. Now, what's really funny is people might not realize this, but this is like a kind of funny cross record because we're covering the secret wars currently in our recording process for proper X's for podcast. And here we are talking about the Fantastic Four in another arena. So I just want to kind of play a little catch up game with the Fantastic Four. Before we get into anything else, however, there is a small bit of news to discuss while the entire comic industry is on hold. Occasionally, stuff still crawls its way out. Marvel Unlimited is making a crazy number of books free this month, which is exciting and very cool. If you've ever wanted to read Dark Phoenix Saga or AVX, wow, I guess they're really focusing on one thing. Now's your chance. So if you've got yourself a cell phone or a computer, hop onto Marvel Unlimited and you can check out some free books from kind of all around the Marvel Universe, taking a look at major crossovers and major events. And speaking of crossovers, I think that puts us firmly into this week's, well, only book.
3: All right, this week we are covering X-Men Fantastic Four crossover. The writer is Chip Zardsky. The penciler was Terry Dodson, and the inkers were Rachel Dodson and Ransom Getty. The color art was by Laura Martin with Andrew Crossley and Peter Panzatis. The letterer was VCs Joe Caramagna, and together they wrote, Krakoa has been invaded.
0: Uh, Okay, so I feel like this issue is kind of a trace job. And I mean that without malice. I think there's very little provided by this story that wasn't already given to us by that single scene of House of X. There's nothing that isn't a foregone conclusion that we can automatically be sure is already the case... And again, and I I love the Dodson's, like I really do. But so much of this book feels to me like art I have seen from the Dodson's before. Jonah, I know you're not quite as well versed in the Dodson's and even the X-Men and the Fantastic Four's history. Does this have a fresh feel to you? Or are you also feeling that sort of repetitive rote storytelling?
2: Uh, The only thing that, for me personally, that feels new within this is probably the art. It's decent enough art that I haven't seen before, and it's enjoyable, and everybody looks, well, like a comic book character, which means that they're really hot and that you want to fuck them because that's how you do (laughs) comic book characters. To me, this narrative seems to just keep jumping back and forth between what it's trying to do. I thought this entire thing was supposed to be about Franklin Richards' powers, but now we're kind of getting into a whole Krakoa versus... Lot a war that i don't think should have been introduced in this book if that's where the marvel people wanted to go with their story this was entirely supposed to be about franklin and it feels like we're shifting a lot away from that franklin and valeria for that matter were really not present in this issue and this is a lot more about the parents and the adults kind of whipping it out and saying look well mine's technically bigger and so it was just i, I need a more concrete set-in-stone narrative that you're trying to give me
0: and stop jumping around so much? You know, Regina, as our formal expert on all things parenting, I would kind of wondered if you felt the agency of the children was reduced by how forward the parents moved in this story. What were your thoughts on that sort of, like, dynamic, as well as the rest of the issue?
3: Well, first, when you have a child, you kind of don't realize at first, you don't actually inform anything about them. They are born with their own personality, their own sort of will, and you can foster those different traits depending on what you're doing while you're raising them. But they are definitely preformed. When they come out of the womb, they've got their own thing going and you don't have, there's nothing you can do about it. They're born with whatever it is that they're going to be born with. And it's up to you to help kind of guide them through that. I think that's In this specific issue, Franklin and Valeria, they're both acting very much like they want their own agency. They're both very smart children. I mean, look at their parents. And I think the parents are trying way too freaking hard to make decisions for them, which as a parent, your job is to protect your children. So I get all that, but these are not ordinary children. And Reed has had a long history of not respecting that. Even as a parent, that got a little bit annoying you know, by the time the children are this age, there's a little bit of give and take that you should be having, and they're not doing that.
0: <laughs> and, like, yeah, the, uh, part and it's the sliding age scale, and I can't wait to get into the sliding age scale of it all, because there's times Franklin's been more adult than this, and there's times he's rewritten reality. So, like, I really agree with you that there really should be more separation in that sense of development.
3: And speaking of not being there, where was Silock in the book? <laughs> I I I, she's,
0: she, I they're she's just there on the they're earth. just so desperate for fallen angels to stop existing.
1: <laughs> Love the Dotsons when it comes to cover art, especially, and this cover is amazing with Psylocke or Quanon on the cover and she's not in the book but there's lots of things about this book that are a little confusing when it comes to the art like again what time in space is this story supposed to be happening because why is Rogue wearing that Avenger suit that she hasn't worn for like five years?
0: I think one of the things that everybody kind of mutually agrees upon is that this story takes place, much like Fallen Angels, really around like the first issue of Dawn of X. This is just way out of order. But yeah, the costume consistency is one. Th- it kind of looks like Emma really just back. She's just back in her Utopia costume sometimes. I'm not sure what's happening.
1: Yeah, that's it. A- Another thing I wanted to mention too, but then, like you said, everybody has had costume inconsistencies. Cause, like, the first issue of this X Men Fantastic Four crossover, there was one page where Magneto was wearing his tight purple suit that he hasn't worn since like the late 80s. So, oh my I'm God, really his, confused. yeah, his new
0: mutants, Black King costume. Oh my God. <laughs> Uh, uh, uh Dodson's, you're so fucking talented, but what's going on with the costume guide?
1: This issue was not that entertaining. Um, I know you said that a lot of the art looked the same. It, it did slightly to me, but the art is kind of like the only thing I did enjoy besides the nuances of suits being messed up. I haven't really read much of Fantastic Four, so it's nice to see the Fantastic Four by the Dodson's. I feel like there was more story between the X-Men and Fantastic Four in the, like, maybe three pages and twelve panels of House of X number one. So, yeah, this isn't really catching my attention, except I am a little bit interested in Doom Sentinels. I
4: am frustrated with how all of the characters have been acting pretty much since the beginning of this story. Nobody seems to be listening to anybody else again, and I mean having the x men go off after being told not to go anywhere and risking everything, and then we find out that hey these doom bots are actually Latvian mutants, and it's it's just why why can't these people just? not screw things up well
0: because they're marvel heroes and that's something marvel heroes are very oh, good at. yeah quick make a judgment call rush headfirst into battle blow everything up that's cool the mansion will just teleport back no problems no problems
3: <laughs> i really enjoyed doom calling out the way that the mutants are kind of treating everybody um that was my, probably my favorite part of the issue but at the same time i'm kind of like doom Hot kettle,
0: bro. (laughs) Right? I'm not used to Doom throwing giant metal balls while in his glass armor.
4: I do appreciate that somebody's calling the mutants out on it. I wasn't really
2: shocked that the Doom Sentinels were set in motion after the end of this issue because of course they were but i feel like it would have maybe been like a little bit more suspenseful and more interesting had we not seen them already and been like well these are probably going to get activated at some point throughout this issue that's already halfway done i am just concerned for time because if there's only supposed to be one issue left how exactly is this going to be resolved and how quickly are they going to have to rush through everything
0: yeah i don't know that i see a resolution that goes anywhere with 22 pages left
4: yeah anything that they do to resolve this it's gonna come out very rushed and i'm i'm not sure that i would appreciate that
1: i have this very horrible feeling that it's just going to be like the end of days of them fighting these doom sentinels and then like people are gonna start dying and then franklin's gonna be like well i can change reality let's just rewind and i will just go back to when the X-Men came to my parents' house and I'll just say, no, thanks.
0: <laughs> or it'll just be like, everybody's very hand wavy. We defeated the sent. Bye. Goodbye. 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 Bye. Or what if this has just been an entire Franklin reality illusion the entire time? I'd like that more. Now, this isn't the first time the Fantastic Four have met the X-Men, but it's also not the first time that it's been ultimately disappointing for one group or another. So here today, I have for you guys a little game I'm calling 410, an X-Men Fantastic Four experience.
1: Too bad it's not called 10-4.
0: <laughs> See, it can't be called 10-4 because that means everything's okay and understood. And that is not the situation here. So the first thing to understand about the X-Men and the Fantastic Four as they relate to one another is it's just about impossible to find an organic reason for them to hang out. The Fantastic Four are like the world's most beloved superheroes living in a beautiful mansion, and that's what they do. And the X-Men are the world's craziest freaks, and they live in their little mansion as well. But it's a very different side of New York, and as such, finding opportunities for them to hang out almost always, and I mean almost always, includes some of the same tropes over and over again. Can anybody guess the first time the X-Men met the Fantastic Four?
3: 1969, because it's got 69 in it.
0: Hot, hot. I like it. Hot.
1: I don't know the year, but I was going to say, hopefully it's not that awful party where all of Marvel went to go watch Dazzler perform, is it?
0: (laughs) Any
2: other guesses?
0: I got nothing.
2: (laughs) My guesses would be along the same lines as Regina, so I'm going to say somewhere within the 1960s.
0: The X-Men and the Fantastic Four first met each other in 1964's Fantastic Four 28 in an issue brilliantly called, We Have to Fight the (laughs) X-Men. I would also like to point out that the X-Men interact with the Human Torch individually in X-Men number 9, so you're close in a way. But here's my question for you guys. In Fantastic Four 28, what villain is responsible for ultimately pitting the Fantastic Four and the X-Men against one another? Say doom. Proletariat. (laughs) (laughs) It's the Puppet (laughs) Master. The Puppet Master created a puppet of Xavier, which was strong enough to control him? What? That sounds more like voodoo and I'm just going to leave that there. Well, smartly, the X-Men of the Fantastic Four spent very little time interacting throughout most of the 70s. Minor appearances here or there, but can anybody name the next major interaction between the two franchises? And the hint is one of the franchises' writers would later strike it from canon. I got nothing. Secret Wars 2 Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> Say you and Jonah are both awful storm fans because we read it right here on X's for podcast uncanny X-Men 145 to 147 featured arcade teaming up with doom to take on the X-Men that's the next major crossover between the two groups okay here's my only thing with that (laughs) there's no Johnny Sue Reed or Ben (laughs) John Byrne was so fucking angry about this crossover event he later made it that it was a doom bot simply so it wouldn't have actually happened to spite chris claremont the fantastic four would go on to appear in an uncanny x-men annual featuring the badoon which saw storm and sue team up and that was one of our favorite annuals that we covered it was a little silly but it was a lot of fun However, some material we haven't gotten to yet on X's for Podcast came a number of years later. Can anybody name the first major X-Men Fantastic Four crossover? I'll give you a hint. It has a very easy name.
3: X-Men versus Fantastic Four?
0: I'm going to give it to you because it's Fantastic Four versus X-Men. Absolutely. (laughs) In February to May of 1987, the Fantastic Four warred with the X-Men. Can anybody guess the major character it's centered around. Franklin. Fucking (laughs) Franklin Richards. (laughs) Yup, that little brat. Now, Frankie. Yeah, Frankie. Now, interestingly enough, this was the first time the X-Men and the Fantastic Four had interacted in a solo, meaningful way in quite some time. As a matter of fact, this was the... Fantastic Four's discovery that Magneto had reformed the last time they had seen him had been Secret Wars. So the X-Men and the Fantastic Four have this weird relationship where they're kind of at odds with each other, but they do have a major tying bind. Can anyone name the significant relationship that marries the Fantastic Four to the X-Men?
1: Johnny having his crush on Dazzler.
0: (laughs) I like it, but I'm going to point to my phraseology of Marys. Oh. Well before she met any of our X-Men, Rachel Gray, also Rachel Summers, was married to Franklin Richards. (laughs) They were married in Days of Future Past, but that wasn't the only time Franklin Richards would appear. Franklin Richards appeared in uncanny x-men 141 part of days of future past however he would return later on in a massive crossover event spanning multiple annuals i will take either the title of the crossover or a guess at the year 1983
1: Mm. 88
0: 87 so while uncanny x-men 141 originally came out in 1980 Franklin would not return again until May of 1990 for Days of Future Present. Fantastic Four Annual 23, New Mutants Annual Number 6, X Factor Annual Number 5, and Uncanny X Men Annual Number 14 would see Franklin Richards return to our timeline. He would later reappear in Excalibur Number 52, as well as Wolverine Days of Future Past Number 1, a late 90s miniseries that served no purpose. However, Franklin Richards, in his adult Days of Future Past, kind of evil, form, has one additional appearance, and everybody might not quite be so familiar with this additional appearance. Can anybody name the strange event that led Franklin Richards to appearing alongside DC characters?
1: Was it the Amalgam?
0: It is. It is the Amalgam line. There was a series called Unlimited Access, for those who are unfamiliar, Marvel and DC did a... 1995 super crossover event known as Marvel vs. DC and DC vs. Marvel. While certain fights were predetermined and there were certain, nope, nope, this person has to win, situations struck up such as Robin defeating Jubilee in the dumbest fight ever. There were a number that were voted on by fans and out of that, Marvel won. But additionally, there were a series of titles combining the different elements of the different worlds, such as Batclaw being part Wolverine, part batman or bruce wayne agent of shield
1: i literally love everything about amalgam
0: (laughs) oh i i do too i love amalgam however there was one real shitty thing in amalgam (laughs) there was a series called unlimited access which focused around a character named access who could go between the two worlds This series ran four very forgettable issues and is probably the least memorable thing about the Amalgam line. It's, of course, no shock that one of the X-Men would go on to become a member of the Fantastic Four. In fact, it's probably one of the best-known events of the Marvel Universe. The new Fantastic Four featured Wolverine, Spider-Man, Hulk, and Ghost Rider. This team was called together by a Skrull, impersonating Sue Storm, insisting that the new Fantastic Four has to help her save the old Fantastic Four by breaking into the Mole Man's Lair to get a Skrull weapon. Yeah. It's a lot. However, Wolverine was a little too high profile to stick around in the new Fantastic Four's subsequent appearances. Can anybody guess which 90s relic they replaced Wolverine with in the new Fantastic Four when his schedule was just too busy to fantastic around?
3: Well, I know it wasn't Adam X.
0: (laughs) Stacy X. Oh, my God. I need them to be friends now.
1: (laughs) I don't. I feel like I know the answer, but I don't know. <laughs> nice relic. Punisher? Oh,
0: it's night Thrasher. Ooh. I'm going to hop in with the answer here because I kind of don't think anyone's going to even remember this absurd character exists. Anybody by chance remember Sleepwalker? <laughs> uh. that was that one character we pointed
2: out to me in marvel 1000 or 1001 and i was like who's that and you're like that's
0: sleepwalker it's sleepwalker and i was like no it looks like an alien man he looks like he's abducting people yep that's sleepwalker
1: okay
0: sleepwalker would replace wolverine because when i think can sub in for wolverine i think sleepwalker the fantastic four had another experience with the x-men however this was not in x-men proper Excalibur 37 to 39, The Prometheum Exchange, is the sequel to what major X Men crossover event? I got it's not nothing. The,
1: it's not the Executioner's song, is it?
0: No, this is
4: outside of my knowledge. <laughs>
0: So, May 1991 to July 1991 saw the release of the Prometheum Exchange, in which Dr. Doom offers to permanently heal Kitty Pride, who has still been suffering from phase disorder since Mutant Massacre.
4: Seriously? That was that far? Wow. Yeah.
0: yeah. Right? Ugh. <laughs> Now, the X-Men of the Fantastic Four wound up spending a lot of time apart thanks to things like Heroes Reborn and Onslaught and a general decision that the Fantastic Four weren't selling as well as the X-Men, so Fantastic Four kind of got shunted away, but they came back in a big, big way in... 2005 x4 was the x-men fantastic four can anybody name the ghost writer who actually wrote the series ghost writer not ghost writer because i was like oh johnny no no (laughs) no no senor blaze while writing under his manga pseudonym now, editor in chief of Marvel, C. B. Cebulski, turned in his scripts for X-Men, Fantastic Four, under the name Akira Yoshida. Huh. Yeah, it was a. Uh, I still don't know how to feel about it. Of course, that brings us to X-Men, Fantastic Four, now by Chip Zdarsky and the Dodsons, and what fun it has been. However, it is impossible to discuss the X-Men and Fantastic Four. ...without discussing a little-known arc called Strange Days. Strange Days saw Hyperstorm, Franklin and Rachel's all-powerful child, enter our timeline. This is a particularly notable series for a number of reasons, not the least of which is at the time... Fantastic Four had three motherfucking titles for this to run through. While obviously the main one was Fantastic Four, can anybody name either of the other two titles that belonged to the Fantastic Four in the 90s that the Strange Days six-part arc ran through?
3: (laughs) Um,
1: did they have their own Unlimited series? They
0: did. They, in fact did have their own Unlimited series. So one of them was Fantastic Four Unlimited. However, I'm going to be real with you, the amount of homework I had to do to find out anything about the other (laughs) one was significant. The Fantastic Four had a book called Fantastic Four Unplugged. (laughs) And this ran through the third issue of it for no fucking reason. Interesting. I can only dream that it had, like, Thing trying to play, um... I almost said Mr. Brightside on piano when what I meant was Behind Blue Eyes.
1: Now I need thing ah, on a piano fan art. Ah.
0: Right in like a dapper tux.
1: Hold on. I I just have a quick question. How are we not going how are we not going to mention the fact that there was another married Marvel couple that took the Richards' spot for a while?
0: Oh my gosh, I completely forgot when for, what is it, six issues of the Dwayne McDuffie, Storm and Black Panther lead the Fantastic Four right after Civil War. That's a great point. Yeah, I'd forgotten all about that short-lived arc. That was a great time. for there all There is those a
1: characters. very small club of people who have been Fantastic Four, X-Men, and Avengers, and Storm is one of them.
0: Take me look at the pages of X Men Fantastic Four, it kind of seems at the moment like that's the only way to get your kitty pride fix. But the other way you could have been getting it for the most part of Dawn of X is out of Marauders. Now, I want to approach Marauders a little bit differently. I want to talk about our favorite thing and our least favorite things. My favorite thing in Marauders has been the triumphant sense of female camaraderie and a dynamic shift in the didactic way that the X-Men are run as you are either completely on the side of good or completely on the side of bad. I am so happy for that progressive change. What I am not enjoying is watching Sebastian Shaw slowly get his way. I would rather him get nothing. Nothing for Sebastian. Sebastian, you can only have Dylan for sex things. You get nothing else. (laughs)
1: but like i might need someone like at the door to make sure he doesn't kill me because i feel like he's a person that does not follow safe words
0: wow this took a weird turn and we can't talk about marauders without it like turning into gay sex well that's what you get when you have
1: a team that has emma frost and Iceman on it so
2: (laughs) and emma
0: frost's brother christian i don't trust any frost is what i'm saying so, Marauders, favorite and least favorite things, go!
3: As far as the things that you love about it, one of my favorite things about Marauders is that I really feel like, as far as the way that the council is set up, we've got kind of an overbalance of nefarious characters. I don't feel like I can actually trust anybody on the council ex- as far as how the villains are set up. And Emma has been a hero for a long time, but I really feel like, out of the questionable characters, she's the one that I can trust the most. Um, She has typically been about rescuing mutants basically her entire life. And I think that this book just shows that we can trust her. I love her relationship with Kitty. I love Callisto's appearance and her relationship with Emma. I, the women in this book are so strong. This is one of the stronger X books, period. In my, um, there's very few things that I don't like about it. It keeps the story moving and flowing. But yeah, I hate Sebastian Shaw. What a dick. I want to take
2: a moment to analyze something that you just said, that there's an overbalance of not traditionally not good characters, and we see them pop up a lot. And I think it's really interesting, and I think it's part of what adds to this book, is that we don't really know exactly who we can trust, so it creates this really interesting suspense where everybody's kind of on the edge of their seat of, well, who's going to turn on who and when? And I think that's a really interesting dynamic to have in your book i do i will say i wish there was maybe even full-on just villains or even more dubious morale characters
1: this is one of probably the strongest x-men book i i want to say x-men has its issues here or there but i feel like marauders has been strong its entire run um When it comes to Marauders, I like the fact that we have a book that showcases a lot of Kitty and Emma and even Sebastian, so that means that we're seeing one entire table from the Quiet Council, and I kind of wish there was more books that were like that. Like, I wish there was a book that did kind of showcase more on Sinister and Mystique and Exodus, or... I mean, I feel like there's been issues of X-Men that have focused a lot on Magneto, Xavier, and Apocalypse, but there's not really book or issue that has focused a lot with Storm Jean and Nightcrawler. There isn't even really much that has focused on Nightcrawler. Another thing I love about Marauders is the fact that, unlike Excalibur, that has three or four former X-Men Blue members like Gambit, Rogue, Jubilee, and Psylocke, Marauders has three former X-Men Gold members with Storm, Bishop, and Iceman. And there's been interactions between Storm and Iceman and then especially Storm and Bishop. And I love the brief nostalgia that the book is giving with those three. It's great that they brought Pyro back because he's just hilarious. And I'm glad that we got to focus a lot on one person that was killed by the awful legacy virus. And if Pyro had to be that person, I'm fine with it. And even though I slightly may dislike a certain character, I do kind of hate the fact that we've killed Kitty. She has became pretty awesome, in my opinion, since Marauder started. I like Kate. Maybe I just like Kate and not Kitty. But I really love this book. The only bad thing I would really hate about it, because we all know that Kate's going to come back, the only one gripe that I have about the book is just the first few issues of the art with Storm not being very African-American looking.
4: For me, I really appreciated that we had this one book that was not centered around Kirkoa, that we could see a group that was always off island that they were out there helping mutants not just dealing with all of these attacks on the on their nation i also also really really enjoy pretty much everything involving pyro that's just been a highlight of these books it's nice that we've had at least one book, one series that has been consistently good the its entire run for me so while while, while some of the other books have been inconsistent in their storytelling, this one has, for me, has been great the entire time. As for what I don't like, Sebastian, and uh, I'm I'm kind of a little frustrated with Thomas uh, Frandis at the moment. So
0: awesome! Has everybody done their thing on Marauders, Jojo? You got to go, right? Okay. So because I've read the least, I think
2: I am the potentially the most fascinated with Kitty's transformation to Kate because i haven't seen Kitty try to become more adult yet in the many 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 stories that they try to do this to her so seeing the shift of this character that i related so heavily to reading the older uncanny issues come into her own as an adult as i transition into adulthood it's really nice and it's just more like yay this is me i'm kitty i'm really not but I hope to one day be as smart as Kitty Pride. Not as... I am more wise than Kitty, but she's definitely technically more intelligent. So I am really happy to see how Kate, the adult, is dealing with these adult problems. So I am really... I really have been enjoying that part of Marauders. I would say my only problem with Marauders is... I don't have a full sense of what the overarching story is... Is this about Kate's transition into adulthood and more seriousness? Is this about a bunch of swashbuckling mutants saving mutants? Is this about, you know, interpolitics within the Hellfire Trading Club itself between Emma and Beef God Sebastian, who I want to kill? Or is it, you know, knockoff Hellfire Club with Hominus Ferrandi? There's a lot going on, not as much as a lot of the other stories, but I'm still, I need to know... Well, what are we doing with this book? Because there's a lot of really cool things going on, but it feels like it just seems to jump on, well, this is what Marauders is talking about for these two weeks, and then this is what they're talking about for these three weeks, and so on
0: like that. I know that I did not like the third issue. I feel like I know everybody's saying it's been really consistent, but that Shinobi issue for me was sort of wrote kind of like general man pain and it just didn't do anything for me
2: i also feel like it didn't really fit in with the narrative i don't really think we needed a backstory as to why sebastian was putting his son as his bishop i really don't think it was necessary and i don't think it added anything to the story itself so today we covered fantastic four x-men number three and it was meh There wasn't really anything particularly wrong with this issue. I think everyone was pretty satisfied with the art, but they were just satisfied as opposed to blown away. And the story still doesn't really seem to make much sense. It is now jumping even further around into what they're trying to tell. I think we would all we can all agree we want a little bit more of what are you trying to tell us? Is this actually about Franklin, or is this some other contrite plot you're trying to give us that just happens to have Franklin thrown in it? We also discussed our opinions of Marauders. Kyle, what are we? Covering next week
4: next week we will be covering hellions number one and we'll also take a look back at fallen angels and the original new mutants storyline of uh new mutants until next time though you can find me on both twitter and instagram at drantis 82 dylan where can everybody find you
1: Everybody can find me on Facebook at my X-Men Facebook group that Regina helps me moderate. That is called House of X. Or you can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Regina, where can everyone find you?
3: find me on Twitter at TheRedQueen underscore G. On Instagram at TheRedQueen underscore on underscore IG. And on Facebook at House of Goblin Queen. Jonah, where can everybody find
2: you? You can find me teaching a class on biology because that's not how any of it works within X-Men Fantastic Four. Or you can also find me online at Peak Jonah on Twitter and Instagram. Nico, where can everybody find you?
0: You guys can find me all over this amazing network on shows like HTML and all the feeds of this show. On HTML, we're currently covering the Star Wars Clone Wars. And here you can find us doing... 80s mutant mania on thursdays or the continuing coverage of the dawn of x on mondays don't forget to check me out on instagram at nico action that's n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n and until we return guys stay social stay quiet stay counsel.
2: the mitochondria is the powerhouse of
0: the cell <laughs> oh <my God. laughs>